and welcome to the Edu Switchboard podcast. I'm your host, Jana Parker, licensed educational psychologist, wellness and executive function coach, and parent consultant. Visit jplep.com to become a member of my community or to access my assessment or coaching services. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on the Edu Switchboard podcast. The interview that you're about to hear was actually not intended to be an interview for the podcast, Uh, but what happened was I was interviewing Susan Blanco, who's a reading specialist for a public school district, and I was interviewing her to get some insight on um, general education reading support for students. And the reason that I was doing this interview with her is because I was uh, preparing to give uh, a workshop to school psychologists on dyslexia. And I thought, what better way to start to talk about dyslexia than hearing from a reading specialist who teaches reading prior to students being assessed to determine if they have dyslexia. And the interview just ended up being so valuable and so um, just insightful and provided so much rich information that I asked Susan if I could post it as a podcast. So here is the full version of my interview with Susan Blanco. And I think the couple of the main points that I want you to get out of this is that there are reading specialists in school districts, not all of them, but some of them who provide such quality reading support for students that oftentimes students will not need to be evaluated for special education. And if they can get the quality reading instruction in general education and not ever have to be assessed for special education, honestly, after all of my years of working in special education, which are 15, that's a good thing. You know, if you can keep your student in the general education setting, that's a good thing. And if we have quality teachers whose expertise is in reading instruction, who can support our kids before they get assessed for special ed, that's the way to go. So listen in. I think she provides a lot of valuable insight, and I hope that you enjoy this interview with Susan Blanco, reading specialist at Encinal Elementary School in Menlo Park, California. Well, welcome Susan Blanco. Susan Blanco is a reading specialist at Encinal Elementary School in Menlo Park. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Tell, uh, I would like to know about um, kind of your background as a reading specialist and educator and um, how you got into the position that you're in today. Okay. Um, so I uh, got my teacher education in New York State, and to um, hold on to and to fully be a teacher um, within five years of getting uh, your public school teaching position, you need to get a master's degree. So. I looked at what was available and reading education was available as a master's degree to uphold the elementary education position. And I am really interested in reading. Um, I am an avid reader and always have been and um, curious about what goes wrong 
for kids who cannot pick that up. So I got my master's in reading education, um, but I went into the classroom. And so I was many years in the classroom, moved to California. And after two years teaching in a California um, education, uh, you know, in the classroom, um, I found this uh, posting for reading education and I decided I might as well try for it. Interviewed, got the position. So I have been working at Menlo Park as their reading teacher since 2004. Um, I'm also a reading recovery teacher leader, which means that I then train other reading recovery teachers. So um, had to go to intensive training for a full year at St. Mary's College here in uh, Moraga, California. And then um, I constantly do PD and I trained a cadre of um, reading recovery teachers and they go to ongoing professional development with me. And so it's a constant learning process. Yeah, wow. And so reading recovery, if I remember correctly, is a, an, an intervention primarily for first graders. Correct. Correct. And then, they, so, oh, go ahead. They do have um, other, um, other offshoots. So there's literacy lessons, which is mostly for either special ed students or um, English language uh, learners uh, who are older. And that goes all the way up to fourth grade, but and using basically the, the same philosophy, um, but the intervention of reading recovery really is designed for first graders. Okay. Yeah. And um, do you use those other, that other program in Menlo Park with kids in other grades? Yes, yes. Um, I So I have taken on um, some English language learners who are older and uh, over at Laurel Elementary, they also, um, they have one teacher who works primarily with English language learners hmm. in literacy lessons. So she has worked with um, older children as well. Um, I think that it's the kind of information that everybody should know. And I, even classroom teachers, um, it was how I learned how to teach reading and not um, specifically reading recovery, but the philosophy of Mari Clay, who is a New Zealander um, and she created the philosophy of how reading is complex and multi-part and um, we have to pay attention to the child as an individual as opposed to um, one program that will meet the needs of everyone. Yeah. And he's influenced many, many um, people who have put out both programs and write, write and um, uh, are in the education field, you know, PhDs in education professors. And um, she has had a lot of influence across the board. Um, so speaking of just kind of general education classroom teachers and teaching reading, where, you know, just in your own education or just what you know about teachers, where do you feel like there's potentially a, you know, a need 
for education, for general education teachers and teaching reading? Um, if I were queen of the world, I would make sure that every elementary school teacher, uh, no matter what grade they wanted to teach, had much more philosophical understanding of the process of reading. Um, and I think right now in California, state schools, maybe they get one specialized class in teaching reading. And I would make it at least three. Um, and, and I think that anybody who is teaching those primary grades, certainly kindergarten through second grade, really needs a very strong understanding of how reading works. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we don't prepare our teachers as well as we should. So um, the programs that are marketed towards schools are supposed to be like um, teacher proof. You know, they actually market it as that, which I find very insulting. And, um, but they are designed to be handed to the teacher. And if they follow the script, then they've covered the material. But there's a difference between covering material and really teaching a child how to read. And that mm -hmm. requires um, really keen observation of what it is that the child is doing and where they're having their misunderstandings and being able to have the time and the focus to then tweak your lesson so that the child you know, is, is being exposed to something else. Right. You know. And so at, um, at your school, you see kids of all the grades. When do, how do you screen for who gets the reading recovery for first grade? So it, the, at the end of kindergarten, the kindergarten teachers hand me lists of their classrooms basically ordered from what they consider their weakest uh, literacy child to their strongest literacy child. And I do ask them to take into account, not just the reading score that they get, but how the child writes, whether um, the oral language is strong, you know, really thinking about language as a whole. And- Let me ask uh, you a question before you keep going. What, um, what reading, when you say reading score, what are they using to do that? So right now we are using the Fountas and Pinnell um, assessment, benchmark assessment. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, but, but for kindergarten, you know, what would be considered um, a, a pretty strong score is a somewhat repetitive, somewhat predictable story with sight words that they know, and then having to use some phonetic information. Um, so it's, it's pretty basic. Um, but you know, that's, that's what we're looking for in kindergarten. Do they know their letters? You know, do they know sounds to letters? Uh, are they able to make the one-to-one -one matching to be able to read across a very simple book? Um, so when a child is showing that they're not getting that, that's when I come in. Um, and so at the very beginning of uh, first grade, we usually give them the first day to get acclimated into their classroom. And then I start um, assessing those children with 
uh, Mark Clay's observation survey. And what that is, is a number of um, subskills. It's a letter ID, um, some sight words, writing and how, you know, the, the vocabulary that the child has, um, mom, dad, love, I, a, the, it, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but then also I give them a sentence or two, actually it's two sentences usually, um, and they need to be able to hear the sounds and then represent those sounds in some way. And then I take the, the lowest children. So um, right now, uh, I am, I'm, because it's of COVID and wanting to reach as many children as we can, um, I'm limited to the number. But usually on a normal year, I would take four children for reading recovery. We have another reading recovery trained teacher who also takes four children. Um, so we hope that in the first 20 weeks, of school, we can bring up to speed or identify as like, oh, you know, this child may have an issue that we can't handle, um, you know, and um, and then we take another group of children. So, yeah. Yeah. What's the um, percentage of kids who, um, after that twenty week set, uh, twenty weeks of it's half an hour a day, five days a week, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. What's the percentage of children who aren't successfully making progress after that time? On a typical year, we may have one child out of the four who is not making the kind of progress that we would hope to see. Some children don't discontinue successfully when we have our own kind of regulations about what we would consider um, discontinuing successfully, but they're making really good progress, which means that we might take them in a small first grade group, two children or three children and continue on, um, but they showed that they are developing those processes and um, that they're starting to get it. So once, so you said maybe one kid doesn't exit successfully. Um, maybe there are a few kids who you think you could continue to support. When is a student referred for special education for potentially having dyslexia at where you are? Well, you know, one of the things that is wonderful about reading recovery is that because it is one-on-one -on -one and we take copious amounts of notes, um, we have a really good way of documenting. This is what I'm seeing. The child is saying what, but writing an H or um, cannot segment words or um, is having speech issues that's getting in the way of being able to represent sounds. So, so there are lots of things that we're able to write down and notice because it's so intimate um, that we can then say, uh, if a child is not making progress, we can say, you know, I've noticed that they have trouble holding on to the letters from one day to the next, or um, this this child is having difficulty hearing and create, you know, representing or um, 
you know, all, all the all the various issues. Now, mm -hmm. it's not my job to diagnose, right? And it is not my job to um, to say like, I think this child is dyslexic, but I can tell you what I see. And so then I hand it off to the psychologist and I say, you know, this is what we've tried. This is what we've tried. This is what we've tried. And this is the result. Um, I try to keep my mind uh, a blank slate when I'm first interacting with a child. So not that thought of, oh, I've seen this before, or, oh, I know this child's family. I know this child's older sister. I, you know, I try to just allow that child to be an individual and give them what I think they need to grow as you know, a, a reader and a writer. <clears throat> that, um, and if it doesn't work, then it is my job to try to find something else. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm going to keep on trying until that 20 weeks. Um, but if I'm seeing red flags well into the, you know, um, despite my best attempts, if I'm seeing that the child is still not getting it, that's when I like to talk to the psychologist and say, here's what I've noticed and expect that name to, to come up as a concern, you know, mm -hmm. in but we really do want to give the child every attempt to stay within the general ed classroom. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, what can you briefly describe the components of the reading recovery program? And if there are any, you know, when you say you do whatever it is that you can as you're working with these students to give them what they need, is there any part of reading recovery that you find is like, you know, maybe some kids need something different, but then do you do that or do you stick with right. reading right. recovery? So, you know, there, there are the reading wars and there's the phonics side and there's the whole language side. And I, I, I often, when, when I do trainings for teachers, I say, you need to try not to engage in that because it's not, you know, this or this it's both. And, and if you, you know, if, if, if people are trying to force you into a choice, they've got something to sell you, you know? So um, I think that some critics of reading recovery think that they don't have strong phonics and that is a misunderstanding, I think, of the program. Um, so there is a lot of emphasis on learning letters and learning sounds um, and connecting those letters and sounds. But we also know that English is highly non-phonetical, right? Okay. So, um, so there is sight word learning, there is using context, there is um, using or language to guide literacy and all of those pieces need to come together. So we know that there are word callers. There are children who can see the words and say the words, but then when you ask them, what did you read? They have no idea because they've been focused so much on 
fluency or just saying the words that they're not really thinking about what it is that they're reading. So, um, so we, we try to incorporate all of that. And this is why the reading recovery training is a full year every week for three hours. And then we continue, we continue that, that professional development because no one can become an expert. And even the teacher leaders, even the trainers of the teacher leaders, we all say like, we're not experts. There's always more to learn. There's always more to think about. Um, and if, if the reading wars weren't so divisive, I think that we could really learn a lot from each other. So, um, so when a child is really struggling, one of the very first things that I do with a child who comes to me as a reading recovery kid is we make an alphabet book and they choose pictures to go along with the letters that mean something to them. So there's emotional and personal connection to it. And then we really practice, right? And we and and then I check, you know, two weeks later to see what they have and what they don't have. We really focus on the things that they don't have. Um, when a letter, so I have lots and lots of kids who mix up H and N and R because they're so visually similar. Mm -hmm. And we you know, talk about the similarities and the differences and we make the sounds and how do, how do we make it in our mouths? How does it feel? You know, the huh, the air against your hand, you know? So trying to use all of those senses so it's kinesthetic learning as well. Um, I have um, I have letters that are made out of this bumpy rubber fabric. And for one particular child, I was trying um, some rhyme or chants, you know. So J was one that he couldn't get, but Jelly Bean was the picture he had. So we did the hook and the dot, and I'd say, J is for jelly bean, J is for jelly bean, J, is, and he'd repeat after me feeling that, you know, those bumps. So we're trying the kinesthetic, the auditory that, you know, and we're trying to get in that learning however I possibly can. Now for some kids, it works like a charm. And for other kids, it's more difficult. Um, when we're noticing that, uh, a, a kid is having a particular issue with maybe a letter or a word. If we have parental buy-in, that is also really helpful um, because then the parent can reinforce that skill um, at home. And, and then, you know, we take all those sub skills and we put it together in real reading. And I try to get the children uh, personally involved in the stories. So uh, they love the, uh, many children, not all children, love the little dog stories, right? And so we talk about the dogs and I have the stuffed animals and, you know, trying to make it as engaging as possible because they need to want to read as much as, you know, like getting the skills. So, um, yeah, so, so that's, uh, is there something when I find that there are some children who, despite everything that I do, and, you know, the, the really, really hard work that reading recovery teachers put into their lessons and the planning and the thinking and, um, sometimes they need the, one, more time, um, but two, more intensive 
phonic work that they're, they can get in a small group setting. And they're, then when they have the IEP, the really lovely, wonderful thing is that teachers know that it's gonna take this child a little more time and they're gonna need other ways into the information. Um, it lets the parents feel like this sigh and it lets the child know that there's, it's not that they're lazy. It's not that they're stupid. It's just that their brains are working some other way that this is hard for them. Mm -hmm. And then, then again, it's the sigh of relief and that, you know, um, weight off their shoulders. Yeah. Um, and that, that was great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> as uh, and you, you do see kids in the older grades too, who you didn't have in reading recovery, but maybe they were at the school right. and maybe they didn't get picked, <clears throat> picked up in that, you know, maybe they weren't the lowest reader, but throughout right. the years, they're not making progress like the other students are, because I know that not everybody is caught at the beginning of first grade, right? And potentially have reading problems later. Right. And, you know, we only have a certain number of slots available because, you know, we have other things that we have to do in our day. So, um, so if there's a, like this year, our first grade is really suffering. We have a lot of children with a lot of issues and there's no way that we can meet everybody's needs as yeah. hard as we're trying. Um, there's just no way because we are limited with time. We're limited with personnel. Um, and, and these are kids who missed like the last third of their kindergarten year. I mean, mm -hmm. they were getting, they were getting it, but if they had internet issues, if they had computer issues and just not being there in person, it's not the same. So, um, so there are a lot of children who are struggling. And your district has been back for quite a while. Yes. Yes. So we had, we brought the kindergartners and the first graders back um, in person, September 28th. Yeah. And, and we, you know, with the understanding that these, these little ones really are suffering, you know, right. They're missing so much and they really need that real connection. Mm -hmm. you know? What is the district doing knowing that you, you know, knowing that you have this group of kiddos who you know, just due to circumstances, aren't getting even the, you know, the instruction they need. They can't see the teacher's mouths move because I'm assuming right. even if they are in school, they have a mask on. What do you think this is doing to the students and how is Menlo Park, which is a mm -hmm. very well-resourced and incredibly, you know, supportive district. Yes. What, what, um, what's kind of the plan for these students? <laughs> really, the plan is to do the best we can with the resources that we have. And that's, you know, it, it, like at a certain point, we have to say it's okay. We had to take some of our reading specialists and make them classroom teachers. And we had to, um, you know, we're, we're really working with, with the basics. 
Um, we're running out of space, we're running out of time, we're running out of energy, we're all exhausted, right? So it's, um, yeah, you know, we take kids before school, we take kids after school, uh, because we've got a shortened day. So, you know, I, I take a kid before contractually, I actually start, but, you know, that's what we do. Um, yeah, and then, and then I'm back to back, all day long, you know, so yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's hard. But but here's here's my success story. So there was a first grader who I did see as a reading recovery student who repeated first grade, and we were sure that this kid was headed towards special ed. Um, mom, there, there was some shift in mom's understanding of what she needed to do at home. And I think a certain amount of just maturity and I'm seeing him one-on-one -on -one as a second grader and he has really grown and he may never be like top of the class. He may even just be like slightly short of where the average second grader is, but he, he's not going to need to be a special ed kid. Yeah. And that like, I, I, I think that is amazing with, you know, how much time and energy and where everybody thought he was headed. Mm -hmm. um, but he's, he's really blossoming this year. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I love that parent piece that you're talking about because I mean, I know that at home, given the amount of kids who are still on distance learning, the amount that these kids are going to want to read after they've been, you know, on a computer all day learning and how easy it is to just switch to a video game. Um, there is so much less reading going on at home. And I right. feel like kids are not getting their eyes on the amount of words that they need to get their eyes on mm -hmm. early on. And the, I, I, I strongly feel like the best thing parents can do at home with their kids in some downtime every day is read. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I would caution that it's not kid go into your room and read that book. Right. Um, both of my kids are strong readers, avid readers, always have been read to them practically in the womb, you know, it's like, um, so, but, but still um, enjoying, you know, up until this past year when my 13 year old was like, yeah, I think it's time to stop, you know. <laughs> But we were reading books together and we were reading mature books together. And, um, and with my eight-year-old, we're still, I'm, I'm trying to encourage her to try out new books because she has certain things that she feels comfortable with and to expand her repertoire of things that she might enjoy. I read aloud to her and just the oral language and hearing fluent readers even though she could probably handle every book that I am reading to her, we, we then can talk about it, 
and talk about the characters and talk about the situations that they find themselves in. Mm -hmm. um, how did they solve that problem? Do you think that was a good idea? And that builds that comprehension piece. Right. So um, yeah, so, so I think that one of the biggest things that a parent can do is actually read a book with your child. And um, even if like, you know, even now um, with my 13 year old saying done, right? We're done with this too babyish. He loves it when I read the same book as him and then we can talk about the characters and the situations. Um, so he's reading uh, Stamped before um, social studies and you know James Reynolds and we both love Jason Reynolds and we both love him and you know so so we can read that at the same time and talk about like well what do you think about that idea and how about this and what do you think about that and he he loves that because it shows that I value what he thinks he's you know growing into a mature adult and he has adult thoughts and you know it, it's it's lovely in that. Yeah. 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 Um, I think my last question about just, um, reading interventions as kids are getting older, what, um, what kinds of intervention tools do you use? I think it's Fontas and Pinnell, but you know, as kids are getting into the older grades, um, and also do you remember, um, and I don't know if you do the same thing as when I worked with you, but we would screen all the third, fourth, and fifth graders at the beginning yes. of the year with like three different things. What is it we used? So um, what we are doing now is we are using the Fountas and Pinnell second grade end of the year benchmark as one. We do a screener. Um, it, it's the Dibbles fluency piece. Um, and so we just, just listening to every third grader read a third grade level piece. And we just do the third graders and we do new to us fourth graders. So if we don't have um, a real good handle and even, even if we do get scores, you know, from their old school, uh, what they are judging and what, how they are, um, thinking about a student may not be what Menlo Park is, you know, wanting from, from their readers. So we read with new students in fourth and fifth grade. And, <clears throat> and then um, we, this year, certainly, we used um, the Scholastic Reading Inventory, which is a computerized test, and they read a short paragraph, and then they have a sentence where they have to fill in a word. It's, it's actually more of a vocabulary test than, you know, a true reading test. Um, but it gives us an idea and um and then we can listen to them and and uh, can get an idea as to where we need to go with them with the Fountas and Pinnell benchmark so um that's how we create those groups as far as the intervention that I'm actually using with my older kids um I'm focusing, while I use the Fountas and Pinnell leveled, leveled literacy intervention books, because I really love the quality of those books, um, I've been using um, a program 
designed by Jan Richardson and Michelle Dufresne, who are both reading recovery trained folks. Um, and but but it's basically very much like Fantas Pinel, who are also um, Marie Clay devotees, and um, and it's uh, you know it, it's really using again all of those pieces, the phonetic information, this, and for older kids, um, kind of focusing more on the chunks. But I have noticed that even fourth and fifth graders still don't have a handle on short and long vowels, especially I and E, especially if they're Spanish speakers, um, the suffixes or having the, having the patience really to take apart a long word. So those are things that when I see it, I'm like, oh, okay, we're really gonna have to focus on this and we're really gonna have to learn a skill. But because fourth and fifth graders really feel that otherness when they're pulled out of a class or, you know, I don't want them to feel like they're deficient in any way, try to make it as fun as possible. So we play a lot of games, um, even like I, I've, you know, on, on Zoom, um, because sometimes the kids have to go into quarantine and I don't get to see them um, using the chat because they love typing the chat. So we play, you know, phonics games, but, you know, using that and using those skills, um, but also that real reading. Uh, one of the things, some groups, it depends on the group, but some groups love the um, reader's theater type stuff. So once they've read, you know, one particular kind of story, then turning it into reader's theater and, and then working on the fluency and the expression that way, they enjoy that theatric piece. Um, so again, you know, trying to be as creative as possible to work with these new tools that we have to work with sometimes and being flexible, but um, also taking into account of the emotional piece of being an older kid who still struggles with reading. And it's, you know, so, so um, a lot of the students that I end up with by the time that they're in fourth and fifth grade, usually it's either the English language development that's getting in the way and they need that English uh, vocabulary, you know, and so, yeah. so we play a lot of vocabulary games um, and also focusing on the roots and, and suffixes and how, how can you tell what a word means in context, those kind those kinds of things. And then the comprehension piece, like what can we expect from this kind of book? What can we expect from a nonfiction kind of book? Um, this is gonna teach us the features, you know, like all of the ways that we can get at the really interesting information. And then, you know, my excitement helps them feel more excited. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we're gonna read this super cool book about, you know, platypi, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know that the platypus has this poison sack and if you get scratched by their claw and they're like, whoa, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and rather than following like book by book, trying to say, oh, that kid's into elephants and that one's into, you know, pop stars and that one's into, and then trying to find what it is that I can, that gets into their interests because mm -hmm. they really are very much interest-based, right? Right, so. right. Yeah, that connection is so important and having that engagement.
piece is, is really critical. Well, I really appreciate you having this conversation with me. And I think that the students in Menlo Park City School District are extremely fortunate to have you and to have the, uh, you know, resources to support students who have a difficulty with reading, you know, I mean, if, if every school had reading specialists, Mm -hmm. uh, we'd have a lot fewer students struggling with reading, I think, you know, I, that is true. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that not every district has reading specialists and Mm -hmm. yeah, I always called Menlo Park, like utopia, like educational (laughs) utopia, you know, everywhere, everywhere has their, has their, you know, strengths and weaknesses, but I really felt like that district for a a small elementary district was really kind of like you were going to, if you needed the support, you were going to get it, you know? And so, well, I'm going to say thank you so much. And I'd like you to hold the line when we get off, but thank you for joining us. Um, and, um, And I just, I think that all the students who have your support are really, really fortunate. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Edu Switchboard podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions or comments or want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at Jana at jplep.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, I'm here to help.